But there is a difference between being humble and then being humbled by someone or something. There are circumstances that come into our life that sometimes um, will humble us. I am a very uh, competitive person. I enjoyed playing sports in high school and basketball and volleyball in college and uh, after graduating from college, uh, we had the opportunity uh, to, uh, the class I graduated in high school was to go back and play an alumni basketball game. And so it was exciting. You go back to my hometown of Lindsay and gather up with the guys I graduated with and we're like, we're going to run over these high school punks. Uh, these guys have nothing on us. And about two minutes into the game and running up and down the court about six or seven times, I was bent over heaving, realizing I had got myself in uh, over my head. Uh, that day we were humbled, and that high school team of boys much younger than us, uh, young men, uh, they wiped us out uh, and wiped us across the floor back and forth. Last week, uh, or a week and a half ago, I went to my eye doctor, annual appointment, to get uh, my eyes checked and to get an update on my prescription. And I was explaining to the eye doctor that I needed a little bit more strength for farther away, but I was still having trouble with reading. And she said, that's because you're getting old. <laughs> I said, I'm only going to be 49. You're not old till after 50, right? She says, no, you're getting older. And so she said, uh, you are just going to have to use some readers. And in my pridefulness, I'm like, I'm going to hold off a little bit longer and make the font bigger on my notes, and we will go from there. <clears throat> as we look at this, the Apostle Paul is teaching, as we read last week in verses 2 through 4, we're to be servants, and that is a part of the unity of the body of Christ and today he says, here's the example of who you should pursue uh, if you're going to be humble. And, the, and so as we look at Philippians 2, the scriptural truth is this. Having the mind of Christ results in humble obedience to, the Lord, to our Lord and God. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Again, I would remind you, you are so blessed, church. You are so blessed because you have the word of God. You can open it. You can read it. And we're even blessed even more by, as a believer, having the Holy Spirit in us to give us understanding. So, Holy Spirit, please give us understanding this morning. Let's look at verse 5. We're going to look at what Paul points us to, the mind of Christ. In verse 5, he points the church to the humility that is needed because it results in unity in the church Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 23, whoever exalts himself will be what? Humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be what? 
exalted. And so Paul says to the church, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You might want to highlight that, underline that, circle that. What a glorious truth to the believer. Have this mind of yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he asks, what is this mindset? What is this attitude that's being spoken of? Well, let's look back a couple of verses. Look at where we were at last Sunday in verses 2 through 4. Apostle Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I don't know if you saw those phrases. The same mind, the same love, full accord and of one mind. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. This is the attitude. This is the mind that we see in Christ, which Paul says in the text today, he is your greatest example. If you are reading and Scripture says we are to be humble as Christ, then we are to look to the greatest example. Ask yourself this this morning. Some self-examination here. We must all ask ourselves, is my attitude, is my mindset that of what is described here in Scripture? Am I one that seeks to serve others first or to serve myself first? What is this church unified in? Is it the mind of Christ or is it upon ourselves Because without the mind of Christ, we will never do what chapter 127 was declared to us just a couple weeks ago. If you look back there, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is what we are called to do, church, that our life would be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says that way is through humility seen in the example of Jesus Christ Look back again at verse 5. It says, which is yours in who? Christ Jesus. Now, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, those who do not have faith in Christ, those who are non-Christians, think that the worthy life and humility like Christ is foolishness. It is only those who have the mind of Christ and only those who have the mind of Christ are Christians because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And as we were just singing on the screen a few minutes ago, when we are saved, when we are justified through faith in Christ alone, we are imputed the righteousness of Christ that as you stand before the Lord God Almighty, He sees you and He does not see your sin, but He sees the righteousness of Christ, His Son, in you. What a glorious truth for us. Therefore, Ephesians tells us that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and therefore we can have the mind of Christ. Look with me at verses 6 through 8. I want the rest of our time mainly to be spent here. We see the humility of Christ, the humility of Christ. And as you read this section, you see this picture that Paul lays out for us is that you see Christ in glory, Christ in glory in all of eternity. And then you see him describe Christ emptying himself at the incarnation. 
and he describes the crucifixion of Christ, and then he describes the ascension of Christ, and the exaltation of Christ, and the adoration of Christ, and the glory of Christ is what we see described here in this text. And so verse 6, Paul says, Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What we read here is very important for you to pay attention to the scripture here because in this world we have people who uh, believe some false things about who Jesus is. And this scripture here in verse 6 and 7 and 8 helps us and is very clear of who Jesus is and how scripture describes him. Scripture describes Jesus as the Alpha and the what? Omega. The beginning and the what? The end. There has never been a time where Jesus did not exist. Be clear with that. Because there are those in this world who believe Jesus was created. Jesus was not created. Jesus is the creator. And therefore, he has always existed. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now it's important to look at this verse here. It talks about the form of God. That is very important for you to pay attention to because the word form points to the essential attributes of the inner nature of Jesus as God. You see, Paul wants to make it very clear that Jesus, uh, right, that Jesus not only appeared as God, but that Jesus is God. John chapter 5, it says this in verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, speaking of Jesus. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The world will tell you that Jesus, when he walked on the earth, never said he was God. That is a lie. We went through that just over the past few months as we've been going through Scripture repeatedly, Jesus said without a doubt that he is God. And therefore, it's important to see this humility of Christ and understand that Jesus is God. It helps us when we come to the point of the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Verse 6 there, who though he was in the form of God... Look at verse 6. Did not count equality with God a thing to be what? Grasp. Jesus, who is God, gives us the greater understanding of his humble, generous, and giving nature. That Jesus, in his humanity, did not consider his equality with God a thing to be used for his own advantage. Well, what do we mean by this? Jesus humbled himself. He emptied himself in this sense that Jesus gave of his life. Therefore, Jesus is the one, the example we are to follow. As he gave of himself, we are to be great givers of ourselves to serve one another. I don't know about you, but ask yourself, do I ever find it hard to let go of my possessions or to let go of my positions, or to give up my rights, 
Not to be first, but to be second? Do we ever reflect on our daily life in that sense that others would be first? That we would serve others first? That my opinion doesn't have to go first? That those people, that the needs that they have, that I would strive to serve them first? Because that's what Christ did. I was reading this week, never read anything about King Edward the Eighth of the United Kingdom, and was reading that in the 1930s that he as a king in all of his uh, grandeur, he humbled himself. I was reading that he went to serve some coal miners in South Wales. That he wanted to know what they were going through, so he dressed in mining gear and he descended into the mine and he worked alongside of these miners to understand the hard labor and coming up from out of the mine and seeing what they did to provide for their families changed how he led. That the people that he would lead that their needs would be met. Jesus, verse 7, says he emptied himself. When it says he emptied himself, please understand this from the Scripture. We must understand what this does not mean. This does not mean that Jesus became man for a time and then later went back to being God. Some people believe that Jesus, who is God, gave up his divinity, became man for a while, and then at the cross left and went back to being God. That is false. This does not mean that Jesus emptied himself of his divine attributes and then took them up later again. If he did that, he would not be God. It does not mean that Jesus entered the shell of a human body and then at the cross left. Because some believe those things. What Paul writes is that it does mean that Jesus added humanity to his divinity. Fully God and fully man. Because think with me for a moment about this. Specifically when we read in Hebrews chapter 1. If Jesus, the creator of the universe, stopped being God for a time at his incarnation, this universe as we know it would collapse. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. It says that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. Let there be what? Light. Jesus spoke the universe into existence. Think of the power, the glory, and the might of God Almighty that Jesus would speak and it would be. The foolishness of man that things would just explode and happen and all these things just showed up one day is the foolishness of mankind who is hardened to the truths of the gospel of Christ and to the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is God. If Jesus, Paul is making this very clear, if Jesus was a mixture of humanity and deity and not fully God and fully human, the result would be disastrous for us 
Because if Jesus was a mixture and he was not fully God and not fully man, he could not be the substitute for you at the cross to bear your sin and your shame and to bear the wrath of God the Father. If he was a mixture of these things and he's not fully God and fully man, he could not save you. Do you feel the weight of what Paul is trying to teach us from the word of God this morning? When you think of Jesus at the incarnation, as we celebrate not just at um, Advent, at Christmas, but throughout the year, if you think of one, one sense, and this is, again, examples are never fit of, of Scripture, but if you think of an, uh, an Indian chief that has a headdress that's given to him, made for him because he is the chief, and he takes it off so he can kneel to the ground to gather some water to drink, he does not stop being the chief. In the same way, at the incarnation, Jesus, when it says emptied himself, he put aside his heavenly glory. He never ceased being God. Jesus said in Matthew 1.21 that he came to save his people from their sins. And therefore, it's so important, vitally important, that you know that Jesus never ceased being God when he came to earth and was born in the manger. Verse 7 says, By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, Jesus, who had all the privileges and the glory of the King of kings and Lord of lords, because he is God, born a Jewish baby boy into poverty. He said he had nowhere to lay his head went to the cross and died in our place for our sins. Matthew chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The greatest example I thought of, aside from the cross in Christ's Time walking this earth is in John chapter 13 as he gives a great example of humility before his disciples in which he calls them to do the same. If you look at John chapter 13, it says this. This is the night that they gathered to take um, the meal together hours before Jesus was arrested, hours before he would go to the cross. And it says in John 13 verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And if you look at verse 15... He says to the disciples, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And the hard part is when we think about the truth of our life to serve others, 
I'm not cleaning his feet. She never served me. No way. They always go first. It's my turn. That person didn't hear a word I said. Me, me, me is the temptation and the pridefulness of our heart that every one of us struggle and battle with. And Jesus says, follow my example. Serve others as I have served you. Verse 8, it says, And being found in human form, people saw Jesus fully man, not knowing him being fully God, but seeing Jesus experience physical pain, to see him experience hunger. He ate with, with people. They touched him. They saw him when he was saddened and grieved the disciples saw when Jesus was tired and fell asleep in the boat, fully man, that he would know everything that you and I have been tempted by, yet he never sinned. To have a Savior who knows what it's like to live and be fully human and fully God means so much to us as our Savior, as we trust him. And follow him and are obedient to him. The eternal God becoming man is a truth of great importance for you and I. John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus' humanity is just as important as his deity. That Jesus, being God, fully God, and being fully man, means that he is able to save. Since Jesus Christ was and is truly divine, that he's God and truly human, means that he can atone for your sin. I won't even ask you to answer, but just think about this. Have you sinned against the Lord God Almighty? Have you sinned greatly against the Lord God Almighty? You might say, yes, I have, but also be reminded that Scripture tells us not only have you broken God's law, but it says you were born with a sin nature passed down from Adam in the garden to you today. And therefore, as Romans tells us, the only thing that you and I deserve is what? Death. But praise be to God that his grace abounds to sinners, that he would give his life, that he would come and serve us. And therefore, by becoming fully human and never departing from being fully God, that he could atone for our sins and our sin nature before the Lord God Almighty. Turn to the book of Isaiah or even close your eyes and just listen to the words of Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 2. This description of Jesus Christ is so important for us. It says this, For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of, a, out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. 
And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The Word of God. The physical torture at the crucifixion is nothing in the sense to the weight that Jesus Christ bore the wrath, the full cup of wrath of God the Father meant for you. And He bore that And his blood was shed so that through faith in Jesus Christ, your sins would be forgiven. And not only forgiven, not passed over, but removed. And the sin taken away and the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. Church, what a glorious truth we rejoice in as Christians. We give thanks in the midst of reflecting on the cross that Jesus would die for us but that he would also bear the wrath for us. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to what? Righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. This is the picture of Christ humbling himself. As in John 10, he says he gives up his life and he takes back his life. He did this obediently to the Father. He did this freely as he gave his life for you. I was praying as we were driving back from Spokane the other day that all that would gather this morning who are not in Christ would hear the gospel truths and they would be saved by the truth of that. 
But we don't end this moment at the cross. We look to the empty tomb because the tomb is empty. Jesus is not there. Jesus Christ died on the cross. His heart stopped beating. His lungs stopped breathing. He died on the cross and he was buried in the tomb. And it was the third day, praise the Lord, that God raised the Son from death to life so that through faith in Christ we're not only forgiven, but we conquer death. Amen? I was waiting. Praise the Lord. Because we know that if we die today, before the return of Christ, we go to be with Him. Look at these last two verses, uh, three verses, 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. The third and final point we see here is the exaltation of Christ. After Christ was raised from death to life and His followers were with Him, they ate with Him, they touched Him. Thomas touched the holes in my hand and in the hole in my side. And he called Him, My Lord and my God and my Savior. Forty days after that, the believers in Acts chapter 1 saw Jesus ascend into heaven, and they said, He will return in the same way. And in John chapter 17, verse 5, Jesus had prayed before His death. He said, Father, now glorify me in Your own presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed, reminding us of a glorious truth that He's always existed, He's always been God, and the glory that He had that He gave up and being born into this world and living this life fully God and fully man, dying at the cross, He's ascended to heaven. The glory abounds in Christ and He is exalted today where He is seated on the throne over His kingdom today. He's ruling and reigning now. Church, we're not waiting for a new rule or new reign. He reigns now because he's always reigned in all of eternity. Do not believe the lie that there's this point of which he doesn't reign and then he reigns and he doesn't reign. No, Jesus has always reigned even before he said, let there be light. He's always reigned. He always will reign. His kingdom has no end. And so we rejoice in that. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, it says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, him at, his, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Let us end with verse 10 and 11. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Jesus Christ is what? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You must remember the church in Philippi, the believers there were commanded with the rest of that world, to call Caesar Lord. And if they did not call Caesar Lord, God, then they would face death, persecution, imprisonment. Don't forget this. And this world today wants the same thing. This world today wants you to name anything and everything and yourself God 
and not Jesus Christ Almighty. And so we just may, before the return of Christ and before the end of our life here on earth, daily face persecution because we refuse to call anyone or anything else Lord other than Jesus Christ. I pray that as a believer in this room, if you are, have faith in Christ, that that is where you stand. As we were looking in the first part of Philippians chapter 1, that you stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You stand for your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Because you, as a believer now, have bowed the knee before the Lord and you've called Jesus Christ and declared to him that he is Lord. And there is a day coming that even for those who do not and have not and died not calling Jesus Christ Lord, they will one day bend the knee and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. And what Paul writes here is what God already declared in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. It says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other by myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. This week one of the things that I brought before council in a statement of faith was adding a phrase which I believe is very dangerous which says that we declare the gospel by word and deed. And the reason I believe it's very dangerous is because it may not expressly say it, but it carries the weight that you, as a believer, by what you do, can save another person. That you could go and serve your neighbor as we're called to do. And someone who is not a believer would say, oh, wow, that person must be a Christian, and I'm going to believe in Jesus, be saved. Scripture never teaches that. Romans chapter 10 says that you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that he has been raised from death to life. So the heralding of the gospel, the speaking of the gospel is commanded and required. And as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the gospel, the truth, we believe. And as you saw two sisters acknowledging verbally that they believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. They've repented of their sins, that they've been saved by that uh, proclamation and the work of Christ in them. And so when we read these things that every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God the Father. All those who declare Jesus Christ is Lord before they see Christ are saved through faith. But all who refuse to bow the knee and call Jesus Lord and die, it's too late. They will acknowledge Jesus as Lord. They will bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but they will not be saved. And therefore, I pray that any of you who are in this place and have come here without salvation in Jesus Christ, that today is the day that God opens your eyes and you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place for your sins 
that he shed his blood for you to not only forgive, but to remove your sins, and that he is not dead, but that he is alive, ruling and reigning in heaven and returning. And he says, believe in me. As the worship team comes forward and as we prepare to take uh, communion, I want to read this text from Romans and pray. This is what we read in Romans as we are called to have the mind of Christ the Lord. Here is what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Father, we pray and ask that in this moment, you would strike our hearts with the truth that we have been loved by you first and greatly through your Son. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you would give your life, that you would humble yourself, that you would serve us. Thank you for going through all of the pain and the sorrow. Thank you for taking the wrath meant for us. And we praise you that you are risen from the dead. May you be praised in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.